Thank you for tuning in to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio. We trust you'll enjoy this musical selection to bring you peace, comfort and hope. Jesus. 
Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music.
was all gone when my heart had no song still in love he's been Such 
listening to Songs of Praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God.
consumes me either way. If I should live, I'll live for him. And if I die, I'll live again. Lord, help me use my fleeting breath to honor you through life or death. And when my heart drums its last beat, I'll lay my labors at your feet. And when my heart drums its last beat, I'll lay my labors at your feet.
that God his son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it Praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Psalm 69, verse 30.
3ABN Australia Radio are delighted to share songs of praise with you. We look forward to your company next time. You are listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading. Today, we are continuing with the book Deeply Esteemed, The Life and Ministry of H.C.K. Harker. The reader is Dr. Barry Harker, the author and also the grandson of Pastor Harold Harker, the subject of the book. Here is our reader. Continuing Chapter 11, Second Invasion. It's now early 1925 and Harold has moved from Hamilton to Castle Main in Victoria. Several months after the camp meeting, Pastors Allen and Pascoe visited Hamilton and conducted a baptism for several of the new believers. The baptism was held in a running stream near a waterfall, about 8 miles or 13 kilometres from Hamilton. It was a beautiful day, long remembered by the candidates and those who witnessed the baptism. Before leaving Hamilton, Pastors Allen and Pascoe conducted the communion service, or celebration of the Lord's Supper, with the new converts. Not long after this, Harold conducted the week of prayer meetings in Hamilton, and after several days of nightly intercessory prayer, Six more people followed their Lord's example and were baptised. The company in Hamilton had grown to 16 members, with a number of others continuing to meet with them every Sabbath. There was every prospect that these people would join the church there. The 16-member company was organised as the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Harold continued his work at Castlemaine. 
situated 70 miles or more than 100 kilometres to the northwest of Melbourne, with a population of about 5,000. Castlemaine was a boom town of 50,000 in the old gold-digging days. Pastors Curtis and Baker conducted an evangelistic effort in Castlemaine more than 30 years before, but without apparent success. Now, some of those who heard Pastors Curtis and Baker so many years before responded to Harold's mission. Harold's work at Castlemaine proceeded against considerable local opposition. Harold wrote in part in a report published in August 1925, No sooner had invitations been placed in the hands of the people announcing our first meeting than determined opposition arose. From every pulpit the people were warned not to go and hear these Adventist preachers. Nevertheless, many at first came and were delighted to hear the grand old story of salvation. The continued preaching and distribution of literature intensified the opposition, and another effort was made to keep the people away. Tracts and books in opposition to Harold's message were freely circulated, but many continued their careful investigation of the issues, and some had already made decisions to embrace the Adventist message. After 12 months in Castlemaine, as the time was approaching for Harold to move to a new field, it was decided that consolidation of the work in Castlemaine should take place. On July 6, 1925, Harold baptised five people in the Loddon River. A few days later, two aged ladies followed them in baptism. With others who had previously been baptised, the company in Castlemaine was now 17 strong. Pastor Pascoe, the Vice President of the Conference, came to Castlemaine the next Sabbath, July 11, to organise these believers into a church. Visitors from Bendigo brought the congregation to more than 40. In opening his address, Pastor Pascoe remarked, My mind goes back some 26 years, when three young men left New Zealand for the Avondale School. Two of these were your pastor and myself, and while since then our labours have been apart, it gives me great pleasure to be present at the organisation of this company, which he has been partly instrumental in raising. At the close of Pastor Pascoe's address, 17 people were voted into and welcomed into church fellowship. Harold's work over the previous 18 months, supported by his associates, resulted in the establishment of two churches, where formerly there were no church members. It was particularly satisfying, given the intense opposition that he had experienced. Harold recognised God's hand in these achievements. It was not only Harold who experienced difficulties. The progress in the Victorian Conference in 1925 was hard won. Arthur Knight, Harold's associate in Western Australia, now Pastor Knight, was the first in a series of victims. He became severely ill. Then Brother Edgar Whitehead had a tramway accident and was out of action for a lengthy period. Then Pastor Marriott went down with lead poisoning. Brother R.J. Burns, Harold's associate in Castlemaine, was chopping wood when a piece of wood struck him on the face, leaving him unpresentable for a time. Sister Elsie Hopgood, Harold's Bible worker, was the next victim. She was run down by a car, and while there were no bones broken, there were plenty of bruises and she was out of action for some weeks. Another lady Bible worker, Sister Britton, had a heart attack and needed to rest. Sister McDowell also had to curtail her work as a Bible worker because of failing health. In their understanding of the great controversy between Christ and Satan, these men and women on the front line of evangelism 
recognised that they were actors in a great spiritual battle played out daily across the globe for the hearts and minds of the world's peoples. Therefore, they were able to put these personal difficulties in context. Yet in Harold's case, little did he know that he had not seen the most intense opposition to his work that he would experience in country Victoria. Chapter 12, A Good Advertisement It was wrong of me to cut the tree down without your permission, and I'd like to pay you for it, Harold informed his neighbour. Harold, don't worry about payment. Take whatever you need. In fact, you're welcome to cut the rest out and take the lot. You are very kind and I'm sorry for not asking you beforehand, Harold responded. Don't mention it, and I'm glad to have met you. After talking with his neighbour for a while, Harold walked home. Harold's house outside St Arnold was on several acres which had two dams but no trees. The adjoining property was about a hundred acres and it was full of ringed bark trees. Needing firewood, Harold chopped a dead tree down just inside his neighbour's property. Conscience smitten, Harold tracked down the owner who lived elsewhere to make things right with him. The property had a farmhouse, big stables, a buggy, hens and a cow. Before the family moved into the farmhouse, Harold, Stanford and Eric splashed scalding water over the inside of the unlined walls to kill bugs and fleas. These insects were a common problem in the colder areas of Australia. Harold had to deal with the problem constantly. Harold conducted a mission in St Arnold in the latter half of 1925. One of the new converts from the mission went with the family to the Victoria-Tasmania camp meeting and 38th conference session that was being held in the Melbourne showgrounds, January 12 to 25, 1926. At the camp, Harold was asked to relocate to Warwicknabile to the northwest of St Arnold. Walter Batty was asked to assist Harold again, with Sister McDowell to join them as soon as she could. Harold found a house on the edge of town, and the mission commenced on March 7, with more than 70 in attendance. On one Sunday night, about a month after commencement, there were about 200 in attendance. Often the midweek attendance was 60 to 70. In June, Harold reported that six people had decided to keep the Sabbath and many more were under conviction. This was in spite of fierce local opposition. Anne also faced challenges. Pregnant with her seventh child, Warwick Nabil was noted for dust storms. One day, looking at the sky, she called to Raymond, Quick, come inside, there's a dust storm coming. The cloud of dust obscured the sun and gave an eerie appearance to the sky. Visibility was reduced dramatically. Despite Anne's efforts, dust managed to get into the house and settle on flat surfaces, furniture, bedding and clothes. It seemed to be everywhere. After the storm, Anne and the girls cleaned the house. There were several dust storms that year. One day, Walter Batty and Harold were driving in the country and they came across a man whose car was badly bogged. They got out of their car and went over to see if they could help. To their surprise, they discovered that the man who owned the bogged car was none other than the fiercest opponent of the mission in Warwick Nabil. He preached against the mission and warned his members not to attend or to provide financial support. Walter and Harold helped to pull the car out of the bog for the grateful minister, Later, it was reported that he had said, that's one good thing they've done. The opposition experienced by Harold and Walter from the local clergy had its effect, however, 
and the large attendances of the first two months of the mission did not translate into the hoped-for results. In July, the situation had not changed appreciably. Six people were worshipping with the mission each Sabbath, and a few others were continuing to show interest. In September, Harold attended the 12th Australasian Union Conference session at the Sydney Showgrounds as a delegate for the Victoria-Tasmania Conference. At the opening of the 8th meeting of the session, held on September 20, Harold led in earnest prayer for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the meeting and that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit would be experienced in the hearts of all assembled, including those who were not in attendance but who had been praying for the meetings of the session. On January 13, 1927, Anne gave birth to John Maxwell Knightley. John, who was soon known as Jack, was Anne and Harold's seventh and last child. Harold was now 49 and Anne was 38. Laura, at 18, helped her mother care for Jack, as she had done for Raymond and Phyllis. Winifred was working for a family in Warwick Nabil and was living away from home. The annual camp meeting for the Victorian Conference was held at the Melbourne Showgrounds, January 18-28. to Harold attended the camp meeting and was asked to go to Horsham, about 35 miles to the south of Warwick Nabil, and conduct a tent mission there. Harold was to be assisted by Brother Max Grollemond and Nurse Florence Grollemond. On the last Sabbath afternoon of the camp, Pastor Andrew Stewart, Victorian missionary to the South Pacific, gave an inspiring talk on the many instances of transformation of life that he had witnessed among native believers. An opportunity was given for those present to give free will offerings and pledges to help support mission work in the South Pacific. £820 were given in cash and pledges, an enormous sum when translated into today's currency. A motor car and a case of jewellery were also given. The jewellery was donated by Harold and Anne. Harold inherited the jewellery, the value of which was considerable and probably in the order of several hundred pounds. Both he and Anne believed that the needs of foreign missions were so great that the jewellery should be donated for these purposes. Harold took seriously the biblical injunction that the Christian should lay up treasures in heaven. Self-sacrifice was both a spiritual obligation and a way of life for him. Always watching out for the interests of the poor and needy, Harold looked upon the value of souls as inestimable and worthy of every sacrifice on his part. The donation of the jewellery was consistent with the higher values that drove his life and ministry. On the last Sunday morning of the camp meeting, in a submerged font at the rear of the auditorium, Harold baptised 21 candidates. In this group were new converts from the missions held the previous year in Camperdown, Warwick Nabil and Benalla, and some who had taken their stand for the first time at the camp meeting. After the camp meeting, Harold returned home and began packing. He went ahead to Horsham to find a house and to lay the linoleum. He found a little weatherboard cottage in Warunna Road on the edge of town where the rents were cheapest. Stanford and Eric travelled during the night to bring down the furniture on the dray, pulled by Tom, the family's horse. Anne and the children arrived on the train the next day. To be continued. Don't forget to tune in next time for the next chapter of Deeply Esteemed, the life and ministry of H.C.K. Harker.
Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Psalm 7 is a meditation of David concerning the words of Cush. And the theme is praising God for deliverance. O Lord my God, I put my trust in you. Please save me from those who would torment me and deliver me from them or they may tear me to pieces like a lion, leaving me in shreds when there was no one to protect me. O Lord, please let me know if I have done any of these things, if my hands are stained with sin, if I dealt evil to a man who was at peace with me, or if I have looted another's goods without any good reason. Then let these people chase me down and apprehend me, yes, Let them lay my life in the dust, and may the honour I once had be accounted for nothing. Arise, O Lord, when you are angry. Be aware of the fury of my enemies. Yes, awake, O Lord, and hand down your true justice, which you have made known. Let all the assembled people gather before you, and reign over them from your throne. It is the Lord who shall judge the nations, And judge me too, O Lord, in harmony with your righteousness, according to my determination to serve you. May the sinful ways of the wicked come to an end, and may you confirm the just. For by your righteousness, people are tested in their heart and mind. My protection is the God of heaven, who cares for those who give their lives to you. God is truly just in all his dealings, and is infuriated with the wicked every day. If he does not overlook the sins of the people, he will sharpen the sword of his justice and will bend his bow to send punishment where it is due. He has the means of inflicting the utmost punishment when he uses the fiery arrows of war. Look, the wicked struggle in their sinfulness. They think of all kinds of iniquity with falsehood as their specialty. The wicked man has dug a pit in his wickedness, then falls into it, the very hellhole he has made. All the trouble he has caused shall return upon his head, and where he has hurt and bruised, he shall be made to suffer too. But I will praise the Lord. His righteousness brings forth a song of praise from my lips, a song to honour the Most High God.'" 